Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Jeff, will you please take over? Good afternoon. I am Jeff Snelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. This is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. We're going to be in Acts 16 today. I've got Chase Byers with me today, as usual. Uh, Chase Byers in Fishers, Indiana. Hello, Chase. Hey, Jeff. It's good to be on today. We're missing Joe. We are. We are missing Joe. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have Joe back next week. We were missing Joe last week, weren't we? Yeah, I, I wonder if viewership's going to go down because yeah. Joe's not here with his witty yeah. comments. Ratings are going to tank. Or sorry, wise. I said witty. I meant wise. So well, wise. Wise. Yeah. Okay. All right. Acts 16. So um, last week we were in Acts 15, and we saw at the end of Acts chapter 15 where Paul and Barnabas decided they were going to or talk about, discussed, returning to the cities they visited on their first journey. That would have taken them through the island of Cyprus and up into Turkey. But they did not agree upon whether or not to take John Mark with them on this second trip. So instead of going together, they split up. Uh, Barnabas took John Mark and headed to Cyprus. And uh, Paul took Silas and headed up into what would be Turkey today. And that's where the cities of Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby were. They're going to go back to Derby in chapter 16, and we'll see them at Lystra, Paul and Silas, that is. And they're going to meet somebody. Uh, who are they going to meet there, Chase? They're going to meet uh, Aquila and Priscilla and eventually pick up Timothy and uh, kind of go on their way preaching and teaching. Um, okay. Uh, you threw me a curve when you said they're going to meet. Hey, sorry. I said Priscilla and Aquila. I'm I'm preparing to teach a class on Acts 18 tonight, so my mind is in Acts 18. Sorry about that. Uh, okay. Uh, All right. Except All right. Timothy. We're in Acts 16. And, yeah, uh, my bad. All right. All right. So, he, yeah, he's going to meet Timothy. Okay. Um, with this auspicious start, let's launch into it. I'll read a little bit. Start in Acts chapter 16. I'm not sure Chase is ready. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Acts chapter 16. Uh, he came also to Derby and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish that believed. But his father was a Greek. This same was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him, Paul, would have to go forth with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep, which had been ordained of the apostles and elders that were at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You know what, Chase? I'm going to throw on screen a map here. Um, Let's see here. Just raised your hand instead. Oh, I, I hit the wrong button. Okay. Share a window. What, what do you say at this point, Chase? Okay, Boomer. There you go. Okay. Here comes our map. Uh, over here on, on the right would be Antioch of Syria, where they started. Uh, you can barely see the island of Cyprus here, where Barnabas and John Mark went. But Paul and Silas head up this way, and it mentions Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And so these are the locations of these three cities. And Timothy is from Lystra here. Chase, would you imagine, we don't know. We do know from Paul's letters, First and Second Timothy, that um, Timothy comes from good stock on the maternal side. His mother and his grandmother were devout um, people of God. And uh, Lois and yeah, Lois's mother, Eunice's grandmother. No, Lois's grandmother, Eunice's mother. Is that the way it works? 
Yeah, I think so. And he had been raised from a babe in the scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament scriptures. Would you think it likely that Paul had met Timothy when he and Barnabas came through this area the first time through? Um, I think it's possible, yeah. It just didn't take the time to tell us about that. I mean, he spent a lot of time with these churches. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in any event, this time through, they come and they find Timothy being well reported of by the brethren. And um, and they're going to take him with him. But then this issue of him being circumcised comes up. What do you want to What do you want to say about that? Well, uh, there's a lot to say about that because Paul has another young man named Titus that he's going to take on a preaching trip, but he does not have Titus circumcised. That's right. But it's because he comes from a completely Greek background. Both his mom and dad would have been Greek, mm -hmm. and so he did not need to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but with Timothy, having been half Jewish, it would have been a stumbling block, I would imagine, for some brethren to have heard Timothy. And so Paul goes ahead and kind of be all things to all men kind of thing and encourages Timothy to be circumcised. Sure, sure. For a devout Jew to be uncircumcised, that would that would that would certainly uh, that would raise questions about his his devoutness before God. And uh, if he is the son of a Jewish woman. Um, then they're going to expect him to be circumcised, and that's that is going to be an issue. Um, okay, so um, we come to verse six. I right, let's just move right on. Let's get verses six through ten. Chase, why don't you read those for us? They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mycenae. They went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia to help us. And after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I don't have all these places labeled on this map, but, but when it mentions Phrygia and Galatia, all of this region here is the province of Galatia, and Phrygia would be up in this region. And then when it mentions Mysia and Bithynia, Mysia is going to be over here to the west, and Bithynia is going to be up in here, if I'm thinking right. And they're going to eventually, so they're going to head from these cities in southern Galatia. They're going to head up this direction, and then they're going to come down to Troas, which is over in here. And I'd have to actually, there we go, Troas right there. Okay, so we got Troas. You know, it really is cool to think about Paul wanting Timothy to go with him. Uh, I like how intentional that language is in verse three. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. This wasn't Timothy's mom saying, you know, Paul, you, you ought to yeah. take this young man with you. You know, or, <laughs> yeah. you know Paul, it wasn't, it wasn't Timothy, you know, yanking on Paul's hand and saying, let me go, let me go. But Paul saw something in Timothy. And I also think it's helpful to realize, I mean, Jeff, do you remember what Paul looked like the last time he was in Lystra and Derby at the end of chapter 14. Wow. He would, he had been stoned to the point they thought he was dead. Yeah. And if our suspicion is right, that this family was there, even then think about how much faith and courage it would have taken on Timothy and his mom. Sure. To let Timothy go for Timothy to enjoy or uh, to willingly go with Paul it shows that he truly had a kingdom mindset and it shows that they were trusting God. So and you would have I to think imagine, all of those. You'd have to imagine chase, even if they had not become disciples at that first trip of Jesus Christ, 
they would have certainly, as, as Paul comes back for this second visit, they would have certainly heard about what happened to Paul. So one way or another, mm -hmm. they're aware of this, that, that, you know, I never thought about that. This mother and this grandmother, um, happy to have their son, their grandson go off with Paul um, and, and his willingness to do it. Yeah. Interesting. Good. Yep. And then um, just a little note in verse five, that the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. The church is just growing rapidly at this point, and Luke always takes time to tell us about that. But sorry, into the section I just read. Sorry, my my comments there were a little bit delayed. Um, what do you make, Jeff, of this Macedonian vision? Oh, I don't know. I, there's a lot of speculation. Anytime, anytime the Bible tells us something and it doesn't tell us everything about it, especially if it's something a little bit mystical, uh, there's going to be a lot of speculation about it. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, some I, some people have thought that that this was Luke, uh, who and of course the thing is that's kind of interesting because Luke here says um, uh, verse eleven, setting sail therefore from Troas, we made a straight course. So Luke is with Paul as they leave Troas to head up. So Macedonia is all up in this region up here, and. Um, so that seems a little odd to me that it would have been Luke in the vision saying, come over here. But what do you, do you have some thoughts? Well, no, I just think it's interesting. Whenever you look at the way God is revealing his will for his <clears throat> Christians who are preaching, particularly, it is interesting to see the different ways he does that. And so Peter had a vision uh, mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 10 that came right. to him, or in a dream, rather. Right. But then we're going to see in Acts 18, and I actually do mean in Acts 18 this time, okay. that doesn't the Lord Jesus come to Paul directly and say, um, you, you know, stay here. It, it's going to be fine. And uh, take courage. Um, verse 9. He ends up staying yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that, it says the Lord came to him in a night vision there as well. So anyways, it's just interesting to think about the different ways that God was revealing his will, his will for his people. Um, mm -hmm. in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. all I was about. Okay. All right. But anyway, they concluded that God had called them to preach in Macedonia. So they set sail for Macedonia. And um, so again, on the map here, Philippi is in Macedonia, uh, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, Berea. These are all cities of Macedonia. And you see the Via Ignatia going through here, the Ignatian Way, some people would say passing through there and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to pick up that road and just follow that road right through to Thessalonica here. But in chapter 16, we're going to be primarily starting in verse 11, interested in their work in Philippi, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. How about we read? I'll start in verse 11. <clears throat> Setting sail therefore from Troas, we made a straight course to Samothrace. So Samothrace is this island right here. And the day following to Neapolis, so here's Neapolis on the coast, just south of Philippi. And from thence to Philippi, which is a city of Macedonia, the first of the district, a Roman colony. And we were in this city tarrying certain days. Uh, and on the Sabbath day, we went forth without the gate by a riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke unto the women that were come together. Before we even go on and find out about one of these women, let's just take a moment to talk a little bit about Philippi and the population there and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Well, I'll, well I'll, I'll, I'll start. 
I think one note, just one quick note too, before we even get there, the amount of detail we're seeing is starting to kick up, isn't it, with some of these travels? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I hadn't really thought I about so. it too much, but yeah, yeah. So Luke, so, Luke is there. So it comes to Philippi. Philippi was a very much. It was a Roman city. I mean, it's not in Rome. It's not even in Italy. But there had been a battle. Everybody remembers Etu Brute and and the assassination of Julius Caesar. Uh, Cassius and Brutus were among the assassins, and they fled to Philippi. And uh, the Emperor Octavian or Octavius and Mark Antony came together and defeated the armies of Cassius and Brutus at Philippi, out on the plains just to the west of the city. And I mean immediately to the west, outside the wall, and maybe to the south also, south, if I remember the, the layout of the battle. And they defeated Cassius and Brutus there, and then they established that city as a Roman colony and, uh, and, and allowed a lot of the Roman soldiers who retired to, to live there. And so it's populated by Roman soldiers, and it is a Roman colony, and uh, I think that's going to be relevant as we go on through the text here. What else would you notice here as it talks about, well, you know what, Chase, let's just, it mentions a river, right? Didn't it mm -hmm. mention a river? Okay, so let's, I yes, think I'm, I'm going to see if I can get this. Oh, you know what? Well, let's do this. So it is going to mention a woman named Lydia in Philippi, and she's from Thyatira. So here's Thyatira, but she's now doing business in Philippi. Here is yeah, an aerial view. Here. So what? We're not looking at your map. You're not looking at my map? All this time I've been pointing to the map and and you're not, oh, me. Okay. All right. Let's back up then. All right. So, all right. So when I was talking about the Via Ignatia and all, was the map on screen then? No, it was not. <laughs> and you're just not telling me. <laughs> Sorry. I, I thought maybe you knew and you were just wanting to kind of go through it quickly. I, I didn't know you were uh, slowing down. Okay. Before, so. All right. Here's the Via Ignatia. Here's Neapolis, Philippi, uh, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, and Via Ignatia goes on. This is all the Macedonian area here. Um, and so here's Thyatira over here. This is where Lydia's from, but she's in Philippi doing business. And so we're going to zip on over to here, see an aerial view of the ruins of Philippi. You can see the theater here and the main part of the city here. The Via Ignati actually runs right through here. Uh, this is just a little schematic showing the layout of the city and the Agra and the, where they say the jail is. There's you know, a question whether that's actually where the jail was or not. But we'll talk about in the Agra and the jail and so on. Here's the Forum and the Via Gnadia and the Modern Road and so on. All right, I want to get past all that and I want to get to this view, right? For our viewers, so Jeff actually was in this area, like he, he went there. So these are all pictures, well, not the aerial photos, but some of the other pictures you're looking at, Jeff. Yeah, there's pictures off my phone. Uh, so here, here, down here is the schematic overlaid on where the ruins of the city are right here. And this is a mountain here. And this is the river that runs right through here. And you can see the walls of the city would be in this area here and not very far outside the walls. You've got this river and there's a picture of the river. So, okay, now we've got a visual. Now I'll stop sharing. If I start talking about the map again, let me know I need to share. So Jeff, tell me, why are they at a river? Well, uh, you would assume, you would assume that it's because there was not actually a synagogue, a a 
uh, house built for a house of worship, you could say, a place built for the Jews to have a, a synagogue, which is interesting because when I was in Philippi, there is a museum there just at the northern end of the ruins there, the northwestern end. And in the, in the museum there, they have a couple of, couple of um, um, stones that have carvings on them referring to a synagogue. And they seem to be first century inscriptions. Um, and so the question is, uh, was that synagogue maybe not built until sometime later in the first century? Maybe it's toward the end of the first century and we're just, you know, in this near the end of the two thirds of the, of the century here in the book of Acts. Um, in fact, probably not quite that far. Um, so more like halfway through the first century. So maybe the synagogue hadn't been built yet, but you would just from reading the text in the book of Acts, you would get the impression, especially because it's a group of women. The, the fact is they're on the Sabbath day, right? Right. And he's expecting to find people gathered at this place of prayer on the Sabbath day, which suggests that he is anticipating Jews and or Jewish proselytes or people who are Gentiles, but they've, come to, like in so many cases, come to respect the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Normally, where did Paul go when he first came into a city? Into the synagogue. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm boring yeah. you, aren't I? <laughs> All right. They come into the synagogue. He doesn't here. He goes to the place of prayer, which would seem to indicate there was not a synagogue proper in mm -hmm. Philippi and maybe a relatively yeah. small Jewish population. Yeah, but still, Paul finds out where they're at, and that's where he wants to go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, how about taking us verse 14 through through 15, just those two verses. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, Tyre, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So this woman is God-fearing. Cornelius was described that way back in Acts chapter 10. And Lydia, is it a Greek name, Jeff? I'm, I realize I'm putting you on the spot here. I really don't know. Uh, off the top of my head, I would say maybe so, but I tell you the truth, Chase, I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure I know. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I know. Well, regardless, uh, she's a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. And so she would have been a well-off businesswoman, it would be my understanding. But what we're going to learn is that she's really generous with her money, and she takes in Paul and uh, those that were that were accompanying him and with him. So, and what, what do you make of this language that the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying? Well, I think that it, the text kind of explains it. It says um, uh, down in verse 15, when she was baptized, uh, no, verse 14, whose heart the Lord opened to give heed unto things which were spoken by Paul. Okay, the Lord opening her heart doesn't, doesn't mean that she didn't have to learn. She's got to give heed to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. I don't know exactly how the Lord opened her heart. Um, you know, the, the, Lord, the Lord works in our lives today. And um, I think back to a, a passage that to me so much sounds like what, what we see going on in the world today. In Amos, the fourth chapter, where God talks about, I sent rain on one city and, and not on another. I gave you a lot of rain and then I withheld the rain and I sent this and that, that 
<clears throat> and as it goes through and talks about each things, each of the things God did, which we would account as hardships, uh, the, the refrain is repetitive, and yet you did not repent. And it seems that in that passage, you have God trying to open their hearts by challenging them with, with difficult situations to help them realize they needed to turn to God. Exactly how God opened Lydia's heart, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, at the at, right before that sentence about the Lord opening her heart, it tells us that she was listening. Is that what your translation says? Heard us. Yes, it says she heard us. Okay, cool. Mine says was listening. So, I mean, it kind of starts there, right? I mean, she yep. was willing to open her ears and mm -hmm. listen. I mean, Jesus said to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's right. That's really the starting, the starting foundational principle of listening to Jesus is just hear him, listen to him. It's good. And so, so I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, so it could very well be what you're saying is the, the words that Paul was speaking themselves opened her heart to then give heed to the things Paul was saying to, to obey them. Yep. It very well could be. Um, Cellar of Purple is kind of interesting. Uh, we've already mentioned this is a Roman city with a lot of re retired Roman soldiers, veterans here. Uh, there might be a greater market for purple in this city than in some other cities. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, maybe so. All right. All right, we'll let you get your nap soon, Chase. We got a little bit more work. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Verse 16. And it came to pass as we were going to the place of prayer that a certain maid, having a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Uh, spirit of divination here literally is a python spirit. Um, are you familiar with the python spirit? No. Yeah, well, there was a python associated with a place called Delphi, about 50 miles north of Corinth. And supposedly mm -hmm. in Greek mythology, Apollo had defeated this python and set up a temple there. And it's a little bit ambiguous. Are we talking about python spirit, meaning spirit of Apollo? And he's called, it's called a python spirit because now he takes on the name of this thing that he's conquered. Or is it referring to a spirit that's associated with this mythological creature that was defeated by Apollo. It doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, it's something that was associated with ventriloquism in ancient times, not ventriloquism like we think of today where a guy's got a puppet sitting on his knee and he's got his hand and he's moving the mouth of the puppet and he's talking, but it sounds like it's coming from the puppet. Not that. They would use the term ventriloquism or their word for what, which we translate as ventriloquism for just basically gibberish, just making weird sounds and oftentimes maybe guttural sounds that sound like they're coming, you know, like that. And so apparently this girl has an unclean spirit and very likely what's going on is she's by this unclean spirit making these sounds as if they're coming, coming out like that. And so people assume, wow, that well, maybe she, she has insight and she can tell my fortune in my future and they would pay money apparently and her handlers made money off of her doing this so this is this girl with the python spirit did we read all the way down through verse 18 or not no no we're ready for verse 16 i got okay, let's get 16 through 18 go ahead once as we were on our way to prayer a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future and she made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling and as she followed paul and cried and and uh, sorry and Sorry. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. But she did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. 
Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Yeah. So why, why is Paul troubled by the fact that she's telling everybody of Paul and Silas, she's saying these men are servants of the most high God who speak unto you the way of salvation? I mean, it's almost verbatim what the demons were saying about Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't permit them to tell people who he was. He told them, he told them to be silent. It's not the best PR to have demons running around telling you yeah. who is the son of the most high God or who is the greatest. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not exactly yeah. what you would want. And the analogy I always use is if you're a politician today and you're running for office and this guy wearing a KKK white mask and robe comes up and says, this guy is a great, he would make a great senator, vote for him. You don't want him endorsing you. Uh, Correct. Paul doesn't want this girl's endorsement, doesn't need it. And so he's troubled. He casts the demon out of her and who gets upset? But well, the guys she was making a lot of money for was pretty upset with her. So verse 19 says her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone. And so they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and brought them before the chief magistrates. And they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Notice, the it, says, joined as, in. notice it says as so Romans. Going back to our comments. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no. And so let's we'll talk about that for a second. So they, they would have really prided themselves in their Roman citizenship. And so, right. you know, oh, we're Romans and what he's teaching. I think they're really trying to rally up the crowds against yeah. them and kind of make it about a nationality thing and because they really don't have a case otherwise. That's um, right. Yeah. So in verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them into jail ordering the jailer to guard them carefully and receiving such an order. He put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Mm -hmm. So Paul and Silas get beat up pretty good here. They get flogged and now they're in prison and, and their feet are fastened down to the ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But verse 25 says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns unto God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the jailer, being roused out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Chase, you'll remember um, um, in Acts chapter, uh, let's see, where were the, where were the, now I'm drawing a blank here. Was it in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was imprisoned and he escaped? Um, that yes. Herod 12, commanded, in, yeah, in verse 19, he commanded that the soldiers that were supposed to be guarding Peter be put to death. And mm -hmm. so, so you can imagine why this jailer is going to kill himself. I, I'm doomed. Uh, my prisoners have escaped. Pick it up yeah. there. Yeah. So, um, in verse uh, 28, Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Mm -hmm. So, Jeff, how do you think he meant that? I, you know, I just had a discussion. I did not a long discussion, but I just went through this with somebody who was saying that the jailer probably wasn't thinking of salvation from sin. He was probably talking about how do I get out of the bind I'm in or something. 
I don't think so. I think he's asking about salvation in Jesus Christ. And you might ask, well, how would he know enough to even ask that? He's a pagan in a Roman city. But remember, Paul and Silas have been preaching in this city. If we go back, um, let's see here. What verse was it? Uh, it's about verse 17 where it says how long Paul and Silas have been preaching this. And I can't spot the phrase now. But for several, for several days, they've been preaching in the city. And you mentioned that Libby and I were in this city. It is a very walkable city. It's while it was a significant city, it's, it was not huge. You could walk across it uh, in not very long at all. And so Paul and Silas have been preaching in the center of the city. You would imagine in the agora, the marketplace or the forum. It's not unlikely at all that this jailer has heard them preaching already. And then, of course, he's heard them singing and, and praying to God. That would be the other thing I would say, the singing and praying to God. I mean, there were certainly probably parts of the gospel, even in their prayer and especially in their singing. So it's cool to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard people submit the same. Um, I was curious to know what you what take you were going to have on it. Uh, I tend to agree with you. And I think Paul, I mean, regardless of how this guy meant it, Paul is answering him the way he needs to be answered in verse 31. Yeah. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. No, so salvation let, me, is in Jesus. let me just elaborate real quickly here. It's verse 18 is the path is the verse where it says, talk about that girl with the unclean spirit. She did this for many days. That tells us that Paul and Silas had been many days in the city preaching. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll just That's go back point. and I'll just go back to this here real quickly. Um, going back to our little our slideshow here. Uh, so here's this river. And I'm going to skip past that. And oh no, I'm going to back up actually and go back to earlier. Can you see my pictures now? Yes, sir. All right. Here's where they say the jail was. Now there's a dispute whether that was actually the jail or not. But you'll notice that right across, and then here is the the modern road, and then here's the Via Ignatia, the, the old ancient road that ran through here at the time. And then here is the area where the forum is and the agora, the marketplace. And this is this is just, it's across the street. And so here you can see the ruins and here would be the forum ruins. And here would be the Via Ignatia and the modern road and where they think the jail was. Now I'm skeptical about whether that's the site of the jail. It may be, there's, I won't go into all the details about that right now, but if it was, it's right across the street from where Paul would have likely been preaching um, for, for many days. And if it wasn't the location of the jail, as I said, it is a very walkable city. You can walk across it fairly quickly. And um, so it would it would easily be the case that the jailer could have heard Paul and Silas preaching. What was the nature of earthquakes in that area? I mean, obviously, we just had one in Turkey just a few weeks ago or a couple of them in Turkey a few weeks ago. But what were the nature of them then? I mean, was this land pretty prone to earthquakes? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. And yeah. therefore? Uh, therefore, it makes sense that there would be an earthquake here, but I also don't think we need to overlook the divine intervention of this earthquake. Oh, yeah. Either. Oh, right, 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 right. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's right. It, what, yeah. they, it, it sounds it, like you had. You thought I was going somewhere else with it. Where were you going to go with that? Well, well, 
I don't want to chase this rabbit too far, but when we get into the question of where the, the thing that they believe what or the thing that they've got labeled as the jail where Paul and Silas were kept, one of the questions that arises, if we know an earthquake destroyed it, um, how is it still sitting there? Now, we we don't have to necessarily suppose it was completely destroyed. Oh, I, I never. I mean, light lights were able to be brought in, right. and they were able to right get escorted right. out. Exactly. So it sounds like, yeah, exactly. Uh, there are some other issues involved, and I, I don't think we need to get into debating whether it was actually the jail or not for our purposes today. But that's where I thought you were going um, to just the, the effect of the earthquake upon the jail. Okay. No, uh, think about all right. So you want to pick it up then in verse 31? Yeah. Or yeah, 31. Uh, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away he and all his family were baptized. And he brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So we have a problem. We had a problem. It's about fixed now. Our baptistry heater here in the building, in the church building here in Exton, hasn't been working recently. And the, the problem has been identified, and I believe the part is on order, and they're going to get it fixed. Uh, but the fellow who was working on it was concerned to know whether he should uh, – he wanted to know, when do you, when are you going to need the baptistry again? When is your next baptism scheduled? When is your next when – when do you have your next baptism scheduled? And uh, why would he say that? Well, because in so much of the religious world today, it's not done like it was here in Acts 16, the same hour of the night. Uh, there, somebody schedules a baptismal service for a month from now or two months from now. And because baptism is not viewed as being the point where you go from being out of Christ to in Christ today in the religious world. Baptism is so often not viewed as the point where you go from being enslaved to your sin and being free from sin as the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh and then they were made free when they came through the water. Paul makes that correction connection in 1 Corinthians 10. Here in Acts chapter 16, the jailer is baptized the same hour of the night. Well, and just about any baptism you see in the book of Acts, you could argue it's at an inconvenient time. And I don't mean that in any kind of awful way, but I yeah. mean, like you think about the 3000 souls that are brought to Christ on the day of Pentecost, it's a little inconvenient to have to baptize all of them right then and there. Right. Why, not, why not schedule it out? Yeah. Um, let's just, okay, think, we'll, we'll start taking reservations for the next six months. <laughs> for the next six months. That's right. Yeah. But of course, you know, you see the urgency behind it. Um, real quick story I'll tell on myself here, Jim. You know, I was in Bible study. It's like my first year I was preaching. And uh, I, for years, had just misread in verse 33. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds right away. He and all of his family were baptized. I thought that washing the wounds was like Luke's way of saying that he, that Paul had baptized them. Ah, And so... I'm making I'm in a Bible study making this point to a non-Christian about about baptism being like yeah. washing wounds. Yeah. And uh, my, my wife speaks up, Rebecca, and she goes, Chase, that's not what that's saying at all. <laughs> yeah, I've done stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I felt so silly. But but obviously I bring that story up to emphasize the jailer is washing the wounds of Paul and Silas. Like, don't forget that they had been beaten. Yeah. And so they're, they're all filthy and dirty and 
you know, infection could set in. So he's serving them and is washing them up. I just think that's a cool little note. But then, of course, in a different way, Paul does wash away his wounds, the wounds of sin in baptism. I think verse 35 and 36 uh, hint at an awkward situation. Uh, verse 35 says, when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, come forth and go in peace. Come forth from where? Uh, I guess they had gone back to the prison in some way or another. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Either either they've gone back into the prison or they're still in the jailer's house, but they're still in his custody one way or the other. And you kind of get the impression they, they're back in the jail, which is interesting because now he has now been baptized for the forgiveness of his sins by them. And he, they've said, okay, we'll, we'll go back in the jail now. And he's, well, okay, I'll, you know, and that, that's kind of an interesting situation right there. Well, and it is because at the end of verse 34, it tells us that, that he had said a meal before them. They had shared in a meal together. Yeah. And just thinking about the awkward pause at the end of that dinner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, it's time to go back. Yeah, it's it's time to go back. It doesn't change their circumstances. And I don't imagine that Paul and Silas would have given him any issues about. No, I don't think so either. I think that that their issue with him was not we've got to get out of jail. We've got to be free. Their issue was with him was to save him from his sins by having Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. Paul's going to deal with the the people who arrested him the next day. And so it's not about the jailer. So verse 37 says, Paul said unto them, to these sergeants, these messengers who came from the magistrates, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men that are Romans. You go back, you go back to verse 21. And remember the the thing is uh, on the part of the Philippians, we are Romans and these guys are Jews. And now they've beaten them and arrested them and well, and then paul says we're romans and Romans and promoting from telling them that they're doing things that are not legal for yes. us romans to yes right, there's right, an right, emphasis right. on breaking of the law and now right. paul's going to turn around and say you want to talk about law breaking right you have just beat Roman citizens without any kind of trial whatsoever roman citizens had rights they could not be treated this way so we said at yeah. the outset philippi philippi was a roman city and so in this Roman city where they valued Roman citizenship and Roman privileges and all of that, then to realize they have run afoul of Roman law and the way they've treated Paul and Silas. And so it says in verse, um, well, let's get verse 37 again. Paul said unto them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men that are Romans and have cast us into prison. And do they now cast us out privately? In other words, quietly, they're just going to sweep this under the rug. And he says, nay, verily, but let them come themselves and bring us out. And the sergeants reported these words to the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and begged them. Mine says, besought them. Uh, they and, and when they brought them out, they asked them. <laughs> they didn't order. They asked, please go away from the city. <laughs> They went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they'd seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. You know, a few things come to my mind. Number one is 
why did Paul do this? Why was he being a little bit of a drama queen about this? You know, is he just trying to show I have a right and you broke it? Or do you think there's a deeper purpose, Jeff, for him doing this? I do. I do. I do. I'm, I'm going to think I'm going to see if I can read your mind. All right. Yeah. So I, I think it's really important to understand uh, what the um, what the reason or sorry, that Paul was working with a brand new church at this point. I mean, it was fresh in that area. The only households that have been baptized are Lydia's and now the jailers as well. And I think we need to think about the perception that this would have had on this new church in the city of Philippi. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, even when he had, he and Silas had been arrested, the charge was that these are troublemakers. These are guys who don't value our laws and so on. And, and if this, if this sticks and nobody's aware of the fact that Paul and Silas were essentially acquitted, they were innocent. Then the church begins with this stigma uh, that somehow it's just a bunch of rabble rousers. And, and, and yet if on the other hand, uh, it begins with an appreciation for the fact that actually the people who came here, Paul and Silas preaching this message that has been believed by Lydia and the jailer, they actually hadn't done anything wrong. They were actually were mistreated by our rulers. Then that's certainly going to be a better situation for the reputation of the saints in the city. Is that what yeah, you were thinking? I think so. Yeah. And isn't it really cool to think about the jailer and his household and Lydia and her household being the brethren there now? I do. And yeah. I like, Think about what it's what it was like when Paul leaves and goes on to Thessalonica in the next chapter. What that first Sunday was like when Paul's not there, Silas isn't there. Uh, right. It's really cool to think about them. All right, you two are friends now. Your all's families just have to figure it out. And one of the things we're going to learn in the Book of Philippians is that this was a really important church to Paul. It they was. were they were some of his supporters. Yeah, yeah, financially even they're they're sending support to him when he's a prisoner later on in Rome. Now Paul does send um, Silas and Timothy after he leaves Macedonia and heads down to Athens and then to Corinth. He does send Silas and Timothy to go back and and apparently uh, I think it's Timothy in particular who we find out later on does go back to Philippi, and so they get a little bit more grounding. But you're right, this is the beginning of the church. Paul leaves here in fairly short order, apparently, at the end of chapter 16. And you've got this Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household, brand new Christians. And that's the beginning of the church here. So, mm -hmm. All right. You want to turn over to Philippians and uh, just uh, make a couple of observations there as we wrap it up. We're about out of time, but we've got time to make a couple of connections there. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I wanted to do the same thing. So all right. Why don't you good. do that? Uh, yeah, so Philippians chapter one, I'm probably going to skip down to a section that uh, and there might be some stuff before that you wanted to point out. Uh, number one, in chapter one, down in verse um, 12, Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that in my imprisonment um, is because of Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So fast forward to the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison while he's writing this letter. And you learn that he is actually spreading the gospel to the guards that are around him. And yeah. so I like pointing that out because Paul is writing back to a church in Philippi that had started with a family from a guard that Paul had converted. Right. Yeah. Um, probably something before that, chapter one, verse one. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. This congregation has grown uh, yep. to the point that it is able to have elders and deacons, which right. is cool to think about. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll you mean, want to point out. Yeah, yeah I'll read you quickly down in verse 29 and 30 of the same chapter of Philippians chapter 1. Because to you it hath been granted in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer in his behalf, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So when he had been in Philippi, they had seen him persecuted. And now, of course, he is a prisoner in Rome as he writes this letter, and they hear about that. And yet he says, you all are enduring similar kinds of things. So there's that. All right, well, Chase, then, oh, you got one more? Go ahead. Yeah, one more. Chapter 4, verse 15. You Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. And that might set up us for next week well. Paul is going to go into Thessalonica. Things are not going to go so well there, but he is being supported by the saints in Macedonia to be doing this preaching. Right, right. That's amazing. Okay, thank you, Chase, and thank you all for listening. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back with you next Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. after the time change. So it'll be Easter Daylight Time. Bye-bye.